welcome back to Big Truths, our journey through 2nd and 3rd John, Jude, and Philemon. Our speaker tonight is the one and only Mr. Tom Willis. You've been attending church here for two years? Almost. Almost two years. Businessman, entrepreneur, salesman, has sold everything from insurance to businesses to wholesale cigars. He's a father and a grandfather, and he loves the Lord. And I love Tom, and you guys are going to be blessed tonight. Tom, come right on. Thank you. Praise God for an opportunity to speak his word. I want to first start with the opening prayer. My Father, art in heaven, holy are you. Thank you for your mercy and your love. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your patience with me, Lord. And thank you with your patience with all of your children that are called by you. Holy Spirit, give the words tonight. Open the ears, open the hearts, and let the words be your word, not mine. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. This is, uh, <clears throat> I gave everybody a handout. We're going to define, we're going to have some, have some words defined. And um, that's... I forgot to give that to you. Um, and before we go into the actual scripture, there's a couple of things that are definitely in the news. They're on our minds. We talk about this. Everybody here I've talked to in the church has, has spoken about this. And the question becomes, is... We know what the population of the world approximately is today. Seven billion headed towards eight billion. Now, who knows what the population of the world was in 1 AD? No, 1 AD, when Christ, when Christ was here walking. The estimates run, I'm sorry? A little high. Put a, put a decent guess. The highest estimates by the people who do all that stuff is 400 million people in the entire world. I didn't know that. That's their that's their best guesstimate on the high end. The low end is 145 million. Well, I'm the covered a whole bunch of them that we didn't know. That that's true. The Jewish people didn't know. That. They didn't know that at the time. The majority of the estimators fall in the range of about 200 million in the whole world. So whatever number you want to look at it, it's about two-thirds of the population of the United States or less today. It's not a lot of people by our standard. But in Jesus' time, at Passover, which is coming up soon, they, they estimated that there was a quarter of a million people in Jerusalem for Passover. And that's a lot. Today... 49% of all the Jewish, Israeli, all the people live in Jerusalem. There are six, over 6 million Jews that live there, which is 42%. 40% of the Jews live in the United States. It's not you this time, Greg. <laughs> and so that's 5.7 million people of Jewish descent here in the United States. That is 93% of all the Jewish population in the world in those two countries. The other 17% of all the Jews in the world live in the other 200 plus countries in the world. 
Some countries only have a couple of thousand Jews that are that are recorded in their censuses. Um, and that came from the JewishVirtualLibrary.org, which is maintained by the Jewish people and the rabbis and stuff like that. Because you know, with all the headlines that are in the news and the fact that you know we have a uh, our government has a quote unquote outline of an agreement with Iran and Israel is opposed to it and you know you can't help but hear one point of view or another point of view or one spin doctor or another spin doctor about all the stuff that's going on one thing has not changed in the last 2000 years the Jews are still persecuted without any let up it has never stopped and it continues and the scriptures tell us that it will not stop until Christ the Messiah comes back for his reign on earth his second coming so having said that it uh, I gave you some some names that pretty much all of us use some of these names are in the scripture we're going to be studying tonight some are not but the first one is when the Old Testament talks about nations that is all the nations and the people in the world other than Israel in the Old Testament and that just continues all the way through into the New Testament so nations just are all other nations and peoples other than Israel that's what the, the scribes are talking about in the Old Testament okay welcome whoever's dinged in <clears throat> the Gentiles they are everyone that's not an Israelite and or they worship other gods. Because there were some Israelites who fell and went to worship Baal and, and others and they were no longer considered Israelites by the Orthodox Jews. You said and or. Okay. And slash or. Okay. could be one or both. <clears throat> they could be non-Israelites worshiping other gods like Egypt did or Assyria did. You saw some of the news with ISIS. They're destroying whole towns of the Assyrian culture from, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, leveling them to, you know, mounds of dust. And uh, the UN and all the archaeologists and those people are, they're not up in arms about it, but they are making a big squawk. Um, so anyway, that's, that's a Gentile in the old in, in the old scripture in in the new testament gentiles paul has a big fight about this within the church and we know that there are the ones that are not Jew, israelites they're not jews they're not circumcised they don't observe the the feast days those are the gentiles and we know that there was a big squabble inside the the church in the book of acts about are they allowed in, or are they excluded? Do they, you know, what are the, how, under what deal do they get to come in? And that was all settled. Who are the saints? Who do you think the saints are? Matt, I'll pick on you. Just so you know, you're being real quiet tonight. Who are the saints? Well, there's Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. Mm-hmm. So 
like there's references to that in the Old Testament about uh, people in favor of the Lord and being saints. Mm-hmm. And uh, many among who prophets and people and other servants of the Lord, friends of the Lord. New, New Testament saints, the people who have been uh, redeemed and forgiven. Okay. So we, would you be agreeable that in the Old Testament, the saints were looking forward to the Messiah and their salvation, and in the New Testament, the saints are, are looking to the Messiah who was crucified on the cross? Not only that, but I just dug into this last week, that when Moses went before the Lord, the Lord said, okay, tell the people that all the people, they're going to be my priests to the nation. Mm-hmm. So line them up and make sure they don't touch my glory, and I'm going to go down there. Yeah. And it terrified the people so much that they said, oh, don't do that, don't do that. Just give us the law. <laughs> so that that was something in place so Jesus, Jesus could come and make us all priests before him again. Exactly. I did. An easy, a little easier definition is Israel, Israelites and Gentiles that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, that, that the Messiah is coming and the Messiah has come and uh, those are the saints in the Old Testament the prophets that look forward to it in the New Testament all the believers whether they be of Israelite or Jewish descent or Gentiles you know non-Israelites um, strangers we're going to get to in the scripture in a minute I'm going to skip that one we're going to get to the gospel in a minute and what is God's truth we're going to see a scripture on that in just a second. So the uh, I'm just going to read the I got the first eight verses. I'm just going to read it. I've got two versions here. The first one is the New American is New American Standard Bible version. And as we talked about in Second John, it starts out with the elder, and John's the elder. I mean, I went back and looked at some of the stuff, and and John is the elder writing to. Gaius, whom I love in truth. There's that word. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I am very glad when brethren come and testify to your truth. That is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, brethren being other believers, and especially when they are strangers. We'll get to that one in a second. And that they testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them, the strangers, the traveling missionaries, on their way in a manner worthy of God. That's a very interesting statement there. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers in the truth. In the Amplified Version, it's a, it's a little... Very much the, same. the elderly elder to the beloved and esteemed Gaius, whom I truly love, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in every way and that your body may keep well. 
even as I know. Your soul keeps well and prospers. In fact, I greatly rejoice when the brethren from time to time arrive and spoke so highly of the sincerity and the fidelity of your life, as indeed you do live in the truth. I have no greater joy than this than to hear that my spiritual children are living their lives in the truth. Beloved, it is fine and faithful work that you are doing when you give any service to the Christian brethren, and especially when they are strangers. They have testified before the church of your love and friendship. You will do well to forward them on their journey in a way worthy of God's service. For these, the traveling missionaries, have gone out for the name's sake and are accepting nothing from the Gentiles, the heathen, the non-Israelites, non-believers, so that ourselves ought to support such people in order that we may be fellow workers in the truth, the whole gospel, and cooperate with its teachers. So, obviously, John has great affection for Gaiagas, who's the leader of this church. And he wishes and, and for him to prosper, and he knows that he prospers, but he, wanted, he wants him to physically prosper also, to be well. Um, and John rejoices when he hears testimony of these things that are going on in the church. Because there's other churches that he wasn't happy about at all. And I'm not going to go into the second half of this book. But it uh, there's that that will be coming next week. And... So he lives in the truth, the truth being the whole gospel presented. And the question becomes is, do all of us live the whole gospel as it's presented from Christ? I can't answer that question for anyone. I can say that uh, there have been times in my life the answer would been yes, there was Times in my life, the answer has been no. And now I just pray and hope that I'm, do, I'm doing an adequate job and staying on the right path to, to get back and, to, and, and do what he wants me to do when he wants me to do it. That's the most important thing to me these days. And as Pastor said, I've been coming here almost a couple of years. Greg, Greg was the first person I met when I came here. Um, and I was in really sad shape. I I don't know what I look like to other people, but I was miserable. I was probably at the lowest point I'd ever been in my entire life. I was beaten down, beaten up, stepped on, squashed, told I was going to be destroyed. People were out to crush me in every way possible. And that uh, it was all my fault. And it's... Um, and I had, I had, it had gotten so bad, I had no place to go except God. That was the only place left. I didn't go to the bars. I didn't go to the bottle. I didn't go to drugs. I just had no other place to go. Uh, it, it, uh, and Greg sat down and talked to me and prayed with me that very first day out in the lobby. And I had no idea 
what his responsibilities at the church was. I just knew here was a man who obviously loved Jesus and would do what, and was doing what God told him to do. And um, I was very impressed and very grateful that someone took the time to spend with a stranger. No one knew me. No one in the church knew me. My mom did, but she wasn't a member here at the time. She knew some people in the church because she went to the women's Bible study, but I didn't know any of them. So I was a stranger, as it talks about here in the Scripture. I believed in God. I just wasn't walking a very good life. And uh, it was desperate to find a way to get back because I didn't know how to get back. And it, uh, so a stranger in the Scriptures here is a believer that you do not know that has no letter of introduction. One of the reasons that they carried around these letters from John and Paul and Peter and everyone else is to introduce themselves and says, I'm from Antioch. I'm from Ephesus. I'm from Jerusalem. I believe just like you. I have come, and it may not have been a canonized scripture. It may have been just a letter of introduction because they didn't know who was a spy and they didn't know who was a believer. Not really. I mean, you could look and see how they were living their life, and that was evidence. But the fact was, if somebody came in town that you didn't know, you didn't know why they were there. I mean, go back to when Saul was persecuting and killing and arresting the Christians. Yeah, he'd take a, a massive letter of introduction for the synagogues to accept him. It already, it, you know, the week before he'd been trying to kill him, track him down and hunt him down and kill him. And, uh, and it took a while for you know people to believe that he had actually accepted Christ and converted to Christianity. But uh, which gives me a real interesting question: Who wrote Paul's letter of introduction? Christ did. Um, the truth, walking in the truth, living your lives in the truth truth, a living proof of God's love and following his commandments. Jesus' commandment was love each other as, as I have loved you. Not love, love, not love your neighbor as yourself, but love each other as I have loved you. Make that statement once more, a living proof. A living proof of God's love and following his commandments is the truth. So it uh, this whole letter of John, like the last one, could have been written on one sheet of papyrus paper. And in this case, I don't think it'd take up the whole page, you know. And he he obviously wanted to go visit with the people and see them, rather than putting things to ink. But he did. It um, one of the one of the things that he tells them is that we ought to support what we would call missionaries today and help them. Because one of the instructions, when you go out in Jesus' name for his sake, 
that you accept nothing from the Gentiles, the heathen, the non-Israels, the people who don't know and don't believe. You don't stay at their house, you don't accept money from them. Because if you accepted money or anything from them, it would look as if you were selling the gospel to them and it could be purchased. And they were not having that. Because there was a lot of other religions that that was the accepted practice. Oh, if I give you some money, I cannot be a part of this? And obviously, having seen some of the temples over in the Middle East where the, uh, the Gentiles worshipped, um, you know, bringing money to the temple was, was a big deal, whether, you know, because you were seeking favor of somebody for something. And they wanted no part of the message of the gospel to be compromised in any way, shape, or form from non-believers because they were out there to minister to them and and and, uh, and witness to them and let the Holy Spirit touch their heart and then see the message. The other thing is in helping support the ministers, the missionaries, that we become fellow workers in the truth with them. We receive some of the glory of what they are doing for God as a co-worker, as a fellow worker with them in the field. Even though you may have stayed back at home in Jerusalem or Ephesus or you know maybe on your little farm up by Bethlehem, who knows. But if you were giving and supporting, you are acknowledged as being a fellow worker in the field with them. And I've never seen that before in Scripture this way until I was studying for this message. I knew that, you know, all those things were important. I just didn't know that you were considered a fellow worker out in the field. With them. And that's the same way whether you read the King James Version, the New King James Version. I mean, it's a fellow worker in all the translations, and it, uh, which is greatly, uh, you know, right, gives rise to the level of importance of supporting our missionaries who are here in the States and overseas and around the world. It, uh, I want to make, I want to make sure I don't go too late. Um, There's a couple of other scriptures I want to read to you, and then I'm going to open it up for whatever discussion we want. Um, In Acts 13.47, the Amplified Bible written by Paul, by Luke, for Paul, it says, For so the Lord has charged us, saying, I have set you to be a light for the Gentiles that you may bring eternal salvation to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's that's the that's Acts, that's the church. We would think that that's where you know that would be where the seed was put and the instructions were given. Let's go back to Isaiah 49 verse 6. Now you can read verses 1 through 7. And that's a description of the prophecy of the Messiah, both the suffering and the reigning one. But in verse 6, he says, 
Is it too small a thing for you, my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? Is that too small of a thing for you to do, is to basically get all the Jews back into Israel? He says, I I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah. That was a long time before Christ showed up. And it was prophesied that that's what he's for. So, you know, not only was he prophesied to be the Messiah coming then, he was prophesied to be the light to the Gentiles also. Just like it is here in John, that we go out and faithfully walk in truth and faithfully, you know, minister and witness to the Gentiles to be that light out there. And then sometimes we, you know, the the one definition that's left out here is the gospel. Everybody in church has heard about the gospel. They've always heard about the good news of the gospel. And everyone, once you're saved, believes that everybody else knows what the gospel is and, and all parts of it. 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 1 through 4. It says, And now let me remind you, since it may have escaped you, brethren, of the gospel, the glad tidings of salvation, which I proclaim to you, which you welcomed and accepted, and upon which your faith rests, and by which you are saved. If you hold fast and keep firmly, what I have preached to you, unless you believe it first, without effect, and all for nothing. So he's basically saying, you know, if you believed and hold fast to the tr- to God's truth, salvation is here. But if you didn't believe, you were just going through the motions. It's all for nothing. For I passed on to you. This is Paul still talking. All that I also had received. Paul held nothing back gave it all to them, that Christ, the Messiah and the the Anointed One, died for our sins in accordance with what the Scriptures foretold, that he was buried and that he arose on the third day as the Scriptures foretold. That's the gospel. That's the, the message that's being de- delivered by the strangers and the saints to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the heathen, the people who don't know, who haven't heard, don't believe, haven't met a a light that says, what is that that you have because I haven't seen it before? And I want some of that because that is better than everything else that I have. That. It... um, and that's what we we're called to do as believers, whether it be downtown Granbury or downtown Beirut. Doesn't matter where it's at. Doesn't matter what denomination. Doesn't matter, you know, anything. Just are we being the example of living in truth that John 
is so lovingly affectionate to Gaetius about him doing and and hearing the reports from the believers of his church when they come back to where John is. And it's um, and that is that's the good news. That is the good news. So uh I'm open. Floor's open for questions, comments, input, output. Well his prayer in verse two always saw it through the King James, I wish above all things that you prosper. Mm-hmm. But the Greek and I checked it out, it could also mean I wish you would prosper above all things or in all things mm-hmm. and be in health. So I kind of like that better because some have taken, I wish above all things that you may prosper, that prosperity should be our number one priority because of that. But it could be that that prosper is the verb and all things are the object of the verb rather than the adjective of it. Does that make sense? True. Adverb of it. But he also adds in there, as your... As thy soul prospereth, as your soul prospereth, and that's in the King James Version. So when you started coming to church here, you described yourself, I wanted to ask you, was your soul prospering that day? No, it was not. (laughs) Neither was my body, and neither was anything else in me. The truth be, the, the... So here's the facts, is that I had uh, built a business, that was literally like the the guys in, in the book of James when we first studied two years ago, where they said, let's go to the city and do business and make a profit, and they didn't include God in their plans. I built the business with two other guys and didn't think, even all three of us were Christians, did not think to invite God to be a part of it. It worked, it prospered, the recession hit, I dealt with the stuff I was running the company, um, got it up, got it public, publicly listed in uh, December of twenty, December of twenty ten. In July of twenty eleven, uh, still being an insider, not being able to sell any of the stock, there was the company had some debt which I had guaranteed, personally guaranteed some $350,000 worth of debt. And um, so one of the board members and one of the backers of the company decided they wanted control. And they, the battle began in the spring of 2011, and by July of 2011, I was out the door. Uh, less than 90 days later, because even after you leave the company, there's a waiting period as an insider before you can sell your stock. They had not kept the quarterly filings current, so the stock was delisted and nobody could sell their stock. So now you were holding a piece of paper with nothing. When uh, I started coming to church here in the summer of 2013, two years later, and um, then you all went to two services and we started coming to the 9 o'clock, in August of that year, I was served a uh, lawsuit by those people. Uh, that was the Saturday before the first Bible study session here on Wednesday night for the book of James. 
But I didn't come to the first, second, or third one. Greg, I think, invited me around the middle of September, and I started coming. And it, uh, and what they wanted was basically my stock, all of it. And they weren't going to give anything. Uh, they produced no evidence, but the attorney's bills went up. I ran out of cash, and I just settled. And I signed the settlement papers on that, giving them all of my stock in the company, receiving nothing. But the 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 suit was dismissed with no foundation. On the very Wednesday night that we had the last session of James here, I driven up Sherman, signed all the papers with the, the attorneys, drove back, and came into Bible study Wednesday, that Wednesday night in February, which was the last Wednesday night and shared some testimony then. After that, and they, they actually started in 2011, they quit making payments on all the debt, and I'd been paying that. So it uh, all that fell on me this year, the spring and the, and the, the summer. I said this year, last year. And it, uh, it just, as I said, we're going to bury you, we're going to crush you, you're not going to recover. That was theirs. Mine, with Greg and, and Pastor uh, prayers, like, no. Yeah, I may lose everything. I don't care. They will not crush me. I will not give in, and Christ and God will have some glory somewhere out of this. And I have no idea what it was. But during that two-year period of time, with the love of the church and the love of the members here, I discovered for the first time in my life what it means not to avoid the association of yourselves together mm. and to be and and rely on other brethren yeah. in the in the church. And that is huge in the world today. Because there's a lot of places that worship that don't have that. You know, it's just not there. And I've looked at, at a lot of them because I was searching. I was desperately searching. Uh, two years ago, and I went to Phoenix looking before I came here, and because I didn't know anybody who came to Generations Church, and you know, fortunately for my mom, her next door neighbor, Ralph and Kathy Quest, did come here, and so we came and looked, and my mom said, "Well, let's go look at some other places. You can go look anywhere you want. I'm staying. I mean, by the time August was here, I'm staying. I'm not leaving. I found what I was looking for." And this is a place where God can heal me, and maybe I can do something. And if He wants me, if He wants me to, and that is uh, what God has done. And today, all the debt is gone, bankruptcy, but it's all gone. Praise God. Uh, life is good. I'm still selling cigars, part time. I'm still selling insurance, part time. And I picked up a consulting job for businesses in the last uh, 60 days, and the training started two weeks ago, I completed most all of that to help businesses uh, recover monies that they have overpaid in and, and different things or get tax credits and um, uh, depreciation write-offs, um, which is awesome because it's not a business I had ever thought about. And I've looked at a lot of businesses. I've helped consult on I don't know, some hundred different businesses in the last 15 years. And it, uh, this is nothing I would have ever considered. And I'm really glad the guy that referred me to him uh, 
did because it, it looks like it might be some fun and make you know make some money too. But um, anyway, that's 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 my testimony. Um, this book tonight, this Saint verses, you know, really speaks to me about you know my witnessing to people, regardless of where they're at. It just doesn't matter. Um, having said that, that's what I have, Pastor. We can open it up for additional questions and uh, prayers. And yes, JP. You know, you we were talking about the gospel, and we've always heard. <clears throat> I have this the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified, resurrection, Father's right hand making intercession for us, and that is the gospel. Yep. But I also believe that your testimony tonight is just a continuation of the gospel and is this proof in the pudding that the gospel works. Yes. You know, that's the gospel, if it didn't work, it really wouldn't be the gospel. But Christ working through all of us and, and us mission work is just a continuation of the gospel. We when we live Christian lives when we testify that is a continuation I believe of the gospel. Like it says I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Yes. Two quick things. One, you just quoted the scripture there. I find it interesting that no less than four times in those uh, eight verses, the word truth Mm. is mentioned. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus himself, What is truth? Yes, he did. And the answer is found in both the Old and the New Testament, Psalm 119, 160. The psalmist says, the entirety of your word is truth. And the entirety of the word is culminated in Jesus who came along and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the world today. One commonality in, in John and Jude and what we're talking about is there were a lot of false p- teachers coming into the church. And John throughout was saying truth is the most important weapon we have against false teaching. Yep. Because truth will always stand. The enemy doesn't like it. Other people don't like it. The cults don't like it. The world doesn't like it. The atheists don't like it. Whoever. But it's the truth. It's the truth. And we will stand on that truth. Now, you were talking about being, feeling like you were crushed. No, they said they were going to crush me. They were going to crush me. Yeah. Back in 1987, the church I was pastoring, the denomination closed the doors because they had two churches in the same area, the same denomination, so they decided to close ours. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. nowhere to go. We literally became homeless. We lost everything. And I was at the point where I didn't want to serve the Lord. And my wife, again, my wife (laughs) reminded me of of the passage in 2 Corinthians. This is hard for me because I, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but it was hard on all of us, especially with kids, three children, and we could only pack up what we had in a van and leave. 
everything else got left. Anyway, Second uh, Corinthians chapter four verse eight um, says, "We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed." We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And that Hallelujah. held me together during that time. <clears throat> and it's what's always kept me at those times when depression seemed to well up. I can count on, yeah, I can get to that, but I'm never going to be defeated. I'm never going to be crushed. I'm never going to be in total despair because I have somebody greater that's with me and in me than what my feeling is. That's all. Someone else? I was thinking of the cross-reference of what Jesus said just before he ascension. And he took and he ate before them. He talked with them about this, about this law and the prophets, that thing being fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day raised from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of the Father to you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Taking his own words, probably best to show that we're clothed with power on high to be the light, like a city on a hill to all the nations. Mm-hmm. God for repentance and forgiveness. Absolutely. Absolutely. <coughs> Pastor, I'm going to turn it back over to you, sir. Yes. I have Sorry. a question. If you want to answer it. Sure. What was, Try. What was your product? What, what was you, what would you sell? What were you involved in, in that business? That was a, uh, a, a company. It was called a PEO, a professional employer organization. They did employee mm-hmm. leasing where you, you contracted with a business, hired its employees, and then leased them back to them because you could, as you can combine multiple companies and get them better benefits and better workers' comp rates and better unemployment rates and get it processed for less money than they could hire and pay their own bookkeeper to do their own payroll and make sure all the reporting was done to the IRS and everybody, the you know, workers' comp board and everybody else that needed to be done. And we were we were in 17 states. Uh, we were up to, before the, re- the recession hit, we were processing in excess of $20 million of annual payroll. And I, I that was uh, that was the end of 07. I'd ran the company. We opened our office in January of 07. Uh, and that was the end of 07. We were at $20 million of annual payroll. And then in 08, the, the bubble blew up, and we lost all of our business in California, which was... 70% of our profit, you know, we lost you know, a lot of other stuff around the United States and, and put together and saved what was we could save. 
and, and literally customers went from I've, I've got 100 employees to I'm bankrupt because the state of California won't pay me. But they want me to pay them for this for for the uh, um, they want cash for all the payroll taxes and state income tax and stuff like that. But I get a credit voucher back saying, "Well, here's a credit voucher. Take it down to the bank." Well, the bank stopped taking those, and they ran out of cash in a matter of days, and then they were out of business because they couldn't make they could they didn't have the money to make their own payroll. And you had two partners. I I we um. We had seven people on the board. Uh, we had a couple of uh, investor backers, um, and uh, we had probably when we went public. <coughs> before we went public, we had about 200 in investors, but two big ones. And then after we went public, we were well over 350 stockholders, and I own 40 percent of the stock in the company. And today, how were they able to force you out? Uh, by vote of the board and and withholding money, we had two acquisitions pending that they would not. They had promised to put the money up for the backer, the, the big backers, and they withheld it. And says you have to leave, or we're not going to do this because we picked the other board member to do it. Who appointed the board? I did, and they were <laughs> elected by the stockholders. The guy, the guy, I, the the guy on the board I invited in is the guy that put the whole thing together. People, local people, people you knew? Uh, one, all of the people on the board I personally knew. This guy I knew the least of all of them. Uh, he no longer lives here in this part of the country. He's moved. Uh, the financial backer, the big one, uh, was out of South Texas and now lives in New York. And it's, uh, so they got what they wanted. They got control. Because that's, that's what they, it's, you, know, you don't understand. We don't have control. We have to have control. You're not supposed to have control. You're just on the board. Yeah. You give advice, and you know, and that's what your job is. But that's not what he wanted. So they got what they wanted. There's a guy in, that lives in Pecan. I won't mention his name, but that's what he used to do. I have no idea. But anyway, that was four years ago this summer. Well, what would you have done different looking back? I don't know that I could have done anything different because I, I didn't see where I had opened the door to that. Um, you would have I probably invited, would have done it a year sooner. I'd have definitely, I'd, yeah, at the beginning, I'd put the Lord prayed, in. You would have prayed about things. I would have prayed about things a lot more than before, what before I ever you, did. Because I didn't pray at all about it. I wasn't in church. And I hadn't been in church for over 20 years at that point. I had... I had. Uh, would have had the same investors. Very likely. Um, you know, I just, I got a very sour taste in my mouth 28, 27 years ago uh, with some hypocrisy over in a church in Dallas. And I walked out and I didn't go back to church. I just said, you know, God, if that's what's there, I'm just not going to have any part of it. You know, I, I'm just not. You know, it's not you. I, I look around at the other churches and I just, I like, you know, I couldn't go to a big church. It just, you know, I felt like I was sitting in an auditorium in a, some production. And, uh, you know, I wanted to go where people were real, and I, I you know, and I, I didn't find that for decades. And now I'm here. 
and you know, and it it was all God's hand to put me here. I mean, it really was. When when you were at your low point, didn't you start talking to God? Oh yeah, I did. I mean, it, it when I was pushed out of the, I was praying before I got pushed out of the company, and I was when I was out of the company, I was praying God because I had all I had was some insurance renewals, and that was it. And here you have a guy who's just left a company as CEO and president, and I couldn't get an interview for a job. I couldn't get a return phone call off of a resume. I mean, this is 2011, you know, two years and two and a half years into the recession, and just, you know, in mid to late 50s and just not the the person that the people wanted to see on a piece of paper. And, I mean, nobody, I used headhunters and everybody else, nobody. And then uh, at the end of that year, yeah, at the end of 2011, a friend of mine called me from Florida and says, you've smoked cigars for a long time. I've known you for 20 years, Tom. And I said, yep. His name was Bob. And I said, I have. And he said, you could sell these. And I said, I don't know enough about cigars to sell them. I just know what tastes good to me. And, it may, and that may not taste good to other people. And so he talked to me for about a month, and finally I had no other option. It's like, I'll try. You know, what What can I do? Do do less? I'll work, work out of my house. I'll be on the phone. And, you know, I sold, and it worked. And I still sell them uh, two and a half days a week now. And, you know, uh, this, this year my sales in that company is up 40% over last year for the same quarter, and the rest of the company is flat. They have no increase at all. And and, and uh, so Bob, the guy, he's now the uh, sales manager. Him and I talk every day, and he, and he asked me, he says, what are you doing? I said, God's blessing me. I said, all I can tell you is God is blessing me. That is the whole reason for all of it. There is no other reason.